Today, Gamasutra reported that PlayStation is requiring developers to create two-hour game trials for games released on its consoles. Sony needs it for the highest tier of the new PlayStation Plus, but will it turn off third parties? Good morning, good Wednesday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming. If you prefer to consume the show the way it's intended, in a podcast feed so you can listen on your phone as you get ready for work or your commute, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. It's free on our YouTube channel for everyone else, but you're going to have to watch some ads. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. Please give the show a review if you can. It can make a big difference. So with the impending launch of the new three-tiered PlayStation Plus service, timed game trials are now a requirement for some developers releasing games on PlayStation consoles. Remember... Game Trials is one of the biggest bullet points for Sony's most expensive PlayStation Plus tier. Sony is reportedly telling developers that games that cost $34 or higher on wholesale must have a two-hour game trial for the PlayStation Plus premium tier. It won't be retroactive or apply to PlayStation VR, and while it is nice for the value of the tier, it feels like a massive burden to developers. Many developers were informed about the new policy via an update to Sony's developer portal. Developers have indicated that they had not received any other communication about the change. If you're a developer planning to release on the PlayStation Store in the future, you now need to budget time and resources to create these new timed trials. Will this keep developers from creating games for PlayStation altogether? Probably not, but it's not going to endear developers to the platform either. Developers have up until three months after their games launch on the PlayStation Store to release their time trial, so there's some wiggle room. But the bottom line is Sony is forcing developers to spend more time and money than they normally would have to. The bigger issue is with the smaller indie developers. Now granted, few indie games wholesale at more than $34, but two hours of most indie games could be a huge chunk of the overall experience. Both Steam and Epic Game Store allow you to return games if you've played them less than two hours, which is probably where Sony got this figure from. But that's a standard feature for both stores, not a privilege that consumers pay extra for, like you will with the premium tier of PlayStation Plus. It's possible that this could backfire on PlayStation if fans catch wind of the developer requirements and decide that they don't want to subscribe at the highest tier because of it. This also feels like a way for PlayStation to better compete with Game Pass without having to spend any extra cash, instead placing the burden on the developer. If you can play the first two hours of every single big game that's released for free, that's a big benefit for consumers, but also a big risk to publishers. Is Sony going to provide the first two hours of God of War Ragnarok and every other PlayStation exclusive? Will it wait the three-month grace period before releasing it, or will it be available on launch day? One thing's for sure, Sony better not expect any third party to do something it's not willing to do itself. Now, ultimately, this works out great for the consumer, and we are always on the side of the consumer here at Sifted. It's our job to help you guys out, and push you towards things that will be beneficial to you. And from a consumer standpoint, 
getting something for X amount of dollars that you're going to spend is always going to be a good thing. However, as I stated earlier, both Steam and EGS allow you to return games after you've played them for less than two hours. And that is just part and parcel of purchasing a game on either one of those storefronts. Here, PlayStation is trying to charge you extra money for that quote-unquote privilege. So, while it's good that consumers will be getting something extra, and Sony is putting pressure on its partners to make them deliver it, because let's be honest, do we really care whether Sony delivers it or whether the developer or publisher delivers it? Most people, probably not, as long as they're just getting it. However, rolling that feature into the highest tier of its three-tiered subscription service is more than a little slimy. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. According to prominent game information leaker Tom Henderson, 2K Games is working on a competitor to Rocket League called Gravity Goal. The twist is that the vehicles are Tron-like motorcycles, and you can fire projectiles to attack other players that will either slow down or stop their bike. Otherwise, it looks like a blatant ripoff. It will offer 1v1, 2v2, and 3v3 matches where the aim is for players to knock a ball into a goal using their vehicles, aka Rocket League. According to Henderson, it's going to be one of 2K's 26 upcoming free-to-play games, but he claims right now it's only targeted for PS5, Xbox Series, and PC. It's already had a closed beta, so it should be revealed shortly. This summer's Proms Music Festival in London's Royal Albert Hall will include video game music for the very first time. The show is titled Gaming Prom, haha, from 8-bit to infinity, and is currently scheduled for August 1st. Music from Dear Esther, Kingdom Hearts, Shadow of the Colossus, and more will be performed. If you're a UK sifter, put it in your calendar. It was announced today that the Gears 5 map builder is being removed from the game. Developer The Coalition wants to focus on other projects, aka Gear 6, so it's pulling support for the map creator and all custom maps, but it's also unlocking them so players can still earn the related achievements. All they have to do is boot up the game. The map builder allows you to create custom escape hives for the game's escape mode. The mode will remain available inside the game. The map builder itself was touted as a huge feature for Gears 5 pre-launch, so it's surprising that it's being removed. On to Gears 6, I suppose. Some older game franchises have struggled to remain viable in the modern market, but Devil May Cry isn't one of them. It took three years, but the latest installment, Devil May Cry 5, has now sold over 5 million copies. It only needs a couple hundred thousand more to best DMC4 and become the best-selling Devil May Cry game of all time. A little-known factoid, the early DMC games did not sell especially well. Congrats to Capcom, and congrats to us too, because it means that Devil May Cry 6 is a lock. We discussed the MPD report in yesterday's Good Morning Gaming, and now today, Microsoft has expanded on the numbers. The first quarter of 2022, and technically the third financial quarter for Microsoft's reporting, has been the best non-holiday quarter for Xbox ever. Gaming revenue is up 6% year over year, primarily driven by a 14% increase in hardware revenue, which means that Xbox Series consoles are finally starting to fill the retail channels. One troubling stat is that growth in Xbox Game Pass subscriptions and first-party titles were partially offset 
by declines from third-party games. The truth is, Xbox just doesn't sell as many third-party games anymore now that it pushes its consumers to Game Pass. It could be something to keep an eye on in the future. The free games for PlayStation Plus for May 2022, just like every other month, have leaked early. The lineup will definitely make some waves. For the first time ever, EA's soccer game FIFA 22 will come to the service alongside Curse of the Gods and Tribes of Midgard. At this point, EA has made its money off last year's soccer game and just wants more players joining its Ultimate Team ecosystem where they'll spend money on microtransactions. It sounds as if EA is finally taking Michael Pachter's long-running recommendation for the franchise. Give it away, reach a lot more people, and make more money in the long run. If you're a fan of classic Sonic the Hedgehog games, take note. With a couple exceptions, Sega is delisting the standalone versions of Sonic 1, 2, 3, and Sonic CD to make way for the new Sonic Origins collection that's about to be released. They'll be removed from most digital stores beginning May 20th, and after that, the only way to get the four games is in the new collection. So, if you just want specific games instead of the entire package, it's time to pony up. Sonic Origins will sell for 40 bucks, but you can buy all four games separately for around $4 a piece, which totals just $16. That's a savings of $24. You don't have to be a math whiz to understand why Sega is doing this. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle topics that may, or may not be, related to video games. Today, Ubisoft shut down online service for 90 different games. Now that sounds terrifying at first. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I've bought a lot of Ubisoft games across the years. But these games date all the way back to the PlayStation 2. As soon as I heard this news, I imagined someone placing a game in their PS2, and the surprise that they must have had on their face when they realized the online modes still worked. Of course, they'd also have to have an extremely rare and expensive PS2 network adapter, but believe it or not, games like Rainbow Six Vegas, Rayman Legends, and several of the really old Splinter Cell games from that era were still playable online after all these years. I've got to hand it to Ubisoft. At least you know, when you buy one of its games with online play, you're not going to get kicked out into the cold anytime soon. Many games from the PS3 and Xbox 360 era were also shut down, so they're not all ancient releases. All of this got me thinking. How long should a developer or publisher be required to keep the online portions of their games alive? After all, we buy or don't buy these games based on many factors. One of them, and I'd argue one of the most important when deciding to buy a game at full price, is its longevity. Nothing adds longevity like online play. This question is more important than ever in 2022, with so many publishers turning to ongoing games as a service to create a recurring revenue model while still selling said games at $60, it's important to know if a publisher is notorious for pulling the plug early. For example, when Ubisoft starts talking about The Division 3, 
you should confidently know that if you decide to take the plunge and purchase the game, that it will remain viable for many years to come. Will it last for 15 to 20 years like some of the PS2 games that were just taken down? Probably not, but at least you know the track record is there. Now keep in mind that supporting any game with new content is something different. For example, Ubisoft killed new content for Ghost Recon Breakpoint a month or so ago, but the servers for the game will remain up and you'll be able to play through any existing content likely for many years to come. That's not true of every publisher. 2K, for example, seems quick to cut bait. When its full-price 4v1 multiplayer shooter Evolve didn't launch especially strong, it turned into a free-to-play game before killing the servers less than three years later. Codemasters Onrush was a unique take on the multiplayer racer, but it also limped out of the gate and couldn't be revived even after being given away for free on PlayStation Plus. Its studio was immediately gutted after release, yet it still received four new tracks a few months after launch, before being abandoned. Of course, Codemasters is now EA's problem. Nexon is another publisher to keep an eye on. Remember Cliff Blazinski's Lawbreakers? Yeah, that game also had a rough launch, but Nexon tried to blame it on the popularity of PUBG. Less than 10 months after launch, the game's servers were shut down and Cliff's studio, Boss Key, was shuttered for good. Sadly, I could go on and on with examples like this. But at the same time, we can't expect every publisher to keep servers up through three console generations. So what's the sweet spot? I would argue that as long as a game is available for purchase on any digital storefront, there should be servers available to play online. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. If the game has gone several years in a row with less than, let's say, 100 players playing, then I think we're all cool with shutting the whole thing down. You may think, 100 players is way too small, but if you stumble across a game that you really like, and there are 100 other people who are still into it, that's more than enough to keep playing. As a publisher, you've got to realize that one angry customer is enough to stir up an entire beehive on social media in 2022. You've also got to realize that there are people in some countries where the PS3 is the dominant console right now, and in a few years, it will be the PS4. Keeping these customers happy, even though they're late to the party, is no less important. You have the opportunity to make them a fan for life, so while I don't expect every publisher to be Ubisoft awesome, I do expect them to err on the extreme side of caution because you never know when one of your old games will become someone's new most favorite game. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield. Follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. And while you're at it, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. The show will be back tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another. <laughs>